0: Welcome, I'm excited to be with you today and to get into God's Word with you, and uh, as we move towards that, I want to start in 1981. How many of you were alive in 1981? Okay, the rest of you don't raise your hands. Back in 1981, SMU University was playing football at Texas A&M, yes. Now, SMU had a practice whenever they scored a touchdown, their cheerleaders would all run onto the field and with their bodies, they would spell out SMU across the field. Since they had a guy on their team named Eric Dickerson, they got to run on the field a lot. But the SMU ponies ran into a problem at my alma mater, Texas A&M. And the problem they ran into was tradition. I don't know how much you know about Texas A&M, but it has a strong military presence. It has the core of cadets. These fine uh, guys and gals that are uh, disciplined and charged with tradition. One of our traditions is we prohibit visiting cheerleaders from going on to the field. And so the ponies scored a touchdown. The cheerleaders ran onto the field to spell out SMU with their bodies. And then it happened. Senior cadet, Greg hood, wearing full uniform and ceremonial saber felt it was his responsibility to defend the honor of Kyle field from these invaders. He went over to tell the cheerleaders to get off the turf. Uh, Things got heated. The SMU cheerleaders did that thing where one of them got on their fours behind him and the other one uh, pushed him over and he fell down. He jumped up, pulled out his saber and brandishing it, chased the cheerleaders off the field. (laughs) You can see him there. Apparently, uh, color photography wasn't around in 81, but. Now, this was a big deal. In fact, uh, there's actually somebody in the first service who came up and said, I was at the game. And so he was telling me about this. Look at that. Now, as an Aggie, I can, I can truly understand the emotions that were riding high in this moment. Clearly, SMU was in the wrong. <laughs> but if I'm honest and objective, I can look back and realize this truth. Sometimes, we love the tradition more than what the tradition was created for. Sometimes, we can begin to fall in love with this and with the rule and miss the heart behind the whole thing in the first place. This seems to be a common theme between Jesus and the religious authorities of the day. Jesus would do something. He wouldn't wash his hands the right way or he, wouldn't, or he would break a Sabbath rule or he'd step on the wrong field and the Pharisees would start rattling their sabers. Now, we're in a series right now at Pulpit Rock going through the gospel of Mark. Mark uh, saw what happened with Christ, and uh, as time was passing and eyewitnesses were passing away, uh, Mark felt it was his uh, calling to put together kind of this book that would address three questions. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What does that mean for my life? And so that's the gospel of Mark. And we've been walking through really that first question, who is Jesus? And next Sunday, we're actually going to finish this first part of the book where something as amazing is going to happen that's going to change the course and the tenor of Christ's ministry here on earth. That's next week. But today, we're in a a part of the gospel where people have been trying to figure out who Jesus is, and they're going to encounter something Today and What we're going to see today here is that even well-intentioned traditions can run the risk of us missing out on Jesus Christ. If you want have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn with me in the Gospel of Mark. You have the first New Testament, you have Matthew, and then Mark chapter 7. If you want to follow along the translation that I'm using, it's in our study guide on page 161. Mark chapter 7, verse 1, let's pick up this little conflict here. And the Pharisees and some of the scholars who came from Jerusalem gathered to him and seeing that some of his students, his disciples, his followers eat bread with unclean, that is unwashed hands. Now they saw this, Now, just to point out something here, this is not a hygiene issue. It's not like gross, where have your hands been and you're handling bread? No, no, no. They're they're talking about some kind of special washing, which we'll see right here. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, Mark explains, they don't eat unless they first wash their hands with the fist. This is alluding to some kind of special ceremony that would be done to prepare yourself to honor God so that you could eat food. This is holding to the traditions of the elders. And the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat from the marketplace unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things like this that they received and held. The washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. There are all these little traditions that they would do to honor God but not Jesus' disciples. So the Pharisees and the scholars asked Jesus, Jesus, why do your students not live according to the traditions of the elders, but they eat their bread with unclean hands? The religious authorities took issue with the way that Jesus was flouting some of the rules, it seems like, flaunting the rules. And, And especially, though, the rules that were according to the tradition of the what? Elders. Now, our study guide had a really good insight about this concept of tradition. I wanted to read this to you because the way that we use tradition may not be the same way that they use the word tradition. On page 162, it says, Tradition is a word and concept which has acquired a significant amount of baggage in the last 500 years. That makes it difficult to hear this passage in the original context. For example, we should not immediately conclude that tradition is a bad thing in Christianity. The Apostle Paul, for example, viewed it as a good thing. He equated Christian teaching with tradition in 1 Corinthians 15. So this is a good thing. When we read tradition in this story, we need to keep in mind the more narrow definition of tradition in the first century. The Greek word means something like that which is handed down. So that's all it means. It's just something that was handed down. For both Paul and for Jesus, the key difference between if it was good or if it was bad and the things that are handed down is whether they come from humans or whether they come from God. So the word tradition does not necessarily mean a bad thing, but there's a clue here by the phrase that they're using that Jesus was breaking the tradition of who? The elders, in other words, something that was handed down from humans, not God. (laughs) This ceremonial hand washing before eating was was probably a tradition that some well-meaning religious leader or elder started because it was an act of worship. But over time, as these things happen, right, it became the way it's supposed to be done. And the disciples were not doing it. So their hands were, were not clean and they couldn't understand, these religious authorities couldn't understand. Now, I don't want you to miss this. The traditions here that they had, they had a noble purpose behind them to help people honor God. Just like that senior cadet at AM, he had a noble purpose behind him. Hey, I wanna honor this field, noble purpose. But now you can see the confusion, right? This is the confusion of the religious leaders. Wait a minute, we're, we're confused, Jesus. Look, everybody honors God by washing their hands this way before they eat, but how come your guys don't? How come they don't want to honor God? Great question. Listen how Jesus responds. He flips the whole script. He said to them, how well Isaiah prophesied about you hypocrites. Oh, it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart keeps far from me. They worship me in vain. They teach human commands as if it is doctrine. You, you guys, give up God's commandment and hold to human tradition Jesus calls these guys hypocrites. Why? Because it seems like they're more concerned about the state of their hands than the state of their heart. They begin to worship the traditions. They begin to elevate these things above, and they forgot what the traditions were for. They were getting connected. Uh, They were getting hung up on the laws and the points and, and losing the heart behind the whole thing. And Jesus says, that's not enough. It's not enough that your lips outwardly honor me. Your heart has to be there as well. This is where we get that concept of lip service. They're giving lip service to God. And what Jesus says here is really challenging because he doesn't just say, well, you know, these guys, they have some different beliefs. He says, well, uh, not only are my guys not following your traditions, but you guys are disobeying God's commandment. Think how shocked they must have been. Wait, what do you mean? How in the world are we giving up God's commandments by following these traditions and rules and things that we came up with? Now Jesus responds by citing something that for us sounds like a very obscure Jewish law. We're like, wow, what's going on? But for this day, it would have been a common practice that people would have understood. And the minute that Jesus addressed this, it's like the elephant in the room. He's going to address a practice that they were doing back then, and he's going to expose it for what it really was. Here's what he says. Verse 10. Jesus is like, well, here's an example. Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and the one who insults father and mother must surely die, right? That's in the Ten Commandments about honoring your father and your mother. But you guys say, if someone says to one's father or mother, whatever help you would have received from me is korban, that is, a gift to God. You no longer allow a person to do anything for father or mother, thus nullifying the word of God for your tradition, which you have handed down. Oh, and you do many things like this. Let's just say korban together. Korban. Okay, just kind of fun to say. We don't get to use it much. Now, what he's saying here is this. In the Ten Commandments given to Moses, there was a commandment. Honor your father and your mother. One way that people would honor their parents is when my parents have a financial need, I'm going to give to them. Uh, My mother's hungry. I'm going to provide some food. My father uh, is getting elderly. I'm going to provide a place for him to live. But what if you wanted to honor God but still keep the money for yourself? You need a loophole. That's Korban. The loophole was this. It's a tradition of the elders called Korban where you could take some of your possessions or your property and you could say, I declare this Korban. It is, it is a gift for God. It's like a spiritual tax shelter. It's like an offshore religious account. You couldn't touch it. Sorry, mom and dad. I really wanted to help you with that need. But you know, my money's really dedicated to the Lord. And Jesus says, you're you're following the rule, you're checking the box, you you found a loophole, but you're nullifying the word of God for your tradition. You're you're actually ignoring the heart behind that commandment. The commandment that was given to Moses about honoring your father and mother is so that we would have hearts that would honor, not so that you could find some way around that and still be good. Yes. Yes. Mark Buchanan writes this The Pharisees' question was not, How can I glorify God? It was, How can I avoid bringing disgrace to God? Just pause for a second. Do, do you see how immensely different those two questions are? They are not the same question at all. This degenerated, he says, into a concern, not with God, but with self, with image, reputation, procedure. Yeah, uh, my parents are starving over there, but, but I'm, I'm good with God. Look what I did. I'm clean. They didn't ask, how can I make others clean? They asked, how can I keep myself from getting dirty? They did not seek to rescue sinners, only to avoid sinning. Wow. And then Jesus explained what we've often struggled to grasp. He explained where they were getting wrong. And where they were going wrong has to do with thinking that this stuff, if done would make them clean. Calling the crowd again, he says to them, listen to me, everyone, and understand nothing outside a person that goes into the person is what makes a person unclean. It's the things that come out of a person that make a person unclean. So he says this. Then Mark says, and then he entered a house away from the people, and his students asked him about the comparison. They didn't understand. They're like, well, what did that mean? Jesus, we've grown up our whole lives with the tradition of the elders. What, what does this mean, that, uh, we, this phrase here? He says to him, so you too are without understanding. Do you not grasp that everything that goes into a person from outside cannot make the person unclean? Now, where he's talking about here is that there's, uh, most of these purity traditions had a lot to do with food and meals, and, and there were foods you could eat. There were foods you could not eat. You could eat this food if it was prepared a certain way, but you couldn't eat this food. It was all this stuff. So Jesus explains The reason that nothing you eat makes you unclean is because it does not go into the person's heart. It goes into the stomach, it goes out into the toilet, and thus he made all foods clean. Mark throws a little aside there. Now because the food you eat, here's the the graphic, right? The food you eat is from the outside. It goes in the inside, and then uh, Jesus gets a little graphic here. (laughs) It goes back outside again. Food can't make you unclean. It's just a passing through. In the same way, these traditions of the elders, all these little things they do, it can't make people clean because these traditions were just made by humans that are going to live and die, and so they're also just a passing through. Well, if, if following these things don't demonstrate the state of my heart, if I have clean hands and that's not showing you how clean my heart is, what, what is it that reveals what's happening in my heart? Jesus says, great. He continued speaking. What comes out of a person, that makes a person unclean. For from within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual transgressions, thefts, murders, adulteries, acts of greed, acts of wickedness, deceit, indecency, envy, slander, pride, stupidity. All these evil things come out from within. That's what makes a person unclean. What Jesus is unveiling here is that all of our attempts to try to keep clean are only pointing out our need for some kind of deeper cleansing, some kind of deeper purity, a purity of motive. In other words, our problem is inside of us, and it can't be fixed by washing hands. It can't be fixed by legal loopholes, it can't be fixed by following and checking all the boxes. What we need is to be made clean in a new way, something more powerful than the tradition of the elders. Now, if you've read ahead in Mark, you know where this is going, right? You know that Jesus is going to unveil himself as, I am the cleaner of your heart. I am the way that goes. I can do what all those traditions couldn't do because of what he's going to do. He's going to die for us. He is going to rise again from the dead, and he's going to offer his life for us. In fact, next Sunday, like I was talking about, one of the first followers of Jesus is going to dare to say out loud something that he has wondered about for a couple of years and everything's going to change, but not today. Because what's really interesting about what Mark chose to share with us today is at this point in Mark, Jesus does not give us the answer. Like, this is the perfect moment, right, for him to say, and therefore, that's what, and it just moves on in the action. Jesus lets us wrestle for a minute with this deep thought that my problem is not out there, it's in here. And he lets us wrestle with this problem that if if we continue to think that following these outward things, if we continue to think that we can fix the problem inside us by doing these things outside us, it's going to lead us down a path. Here's the path. When the Pharisees went to the marketplace, Mark told us at the beginning of our time in verse 4, it said, "When the Pharisees would go to the marketplace, they would never go without coming back and always making sure they cleansed their hands the right way." Why? Because who's in the marketplace? Dirty people, unclean people, unwashed people. Just people that uh, we don't want to we don't want to get involved with. And they couldn't wait to scurry back to the safety of the synagogue and scrub their hands. As we said, the Pharisees didn't seek to rescue sinners, only to avoid sinning. So they had an ethic of avoidance. The thought was, the more that I avoid people, places, things that make me unclean, the more honoring I am to God. Hey, the way that I'm going to be right with God is not touch those things or talk to those people or go to those places or eat those things or drink those things. These are all the ways I will make God happy. I will avoid. I'll back my way into the kingdom. But it's impossible to bring the kingdom when you're always backing up. And we see Jesus goes to the marketplace in a very different way. Last week we saw this. Whenever Jesus entered into villages or cities or in the country, they would lay the sick in the marketplaces and beg him that they might touch even the edge of his clothing, and as many as touched it were saved. The same marketplace that the Pharisees avoided was where Jesus got involved. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty, to clean hearts. I would say Jesus has an ethic of involvement, leaning in, putting my hands here. I'm not worried about reputation, and I'm not worried about this because I know this stuff isn't what makes me clean. So what does it look like for Jesus to practice this ethic? I wanna close with what Mark does here. Mark shows us an immediate impact of what this kind of living looks like. When you have an ethic of involvement, what does it look like immediately? Verse 24, rising from there, he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. How many of you were here last Sunday when Pastor Muhammad spoke? Do You remember him who's here? He talked about the ministry, the lighthouse ministry that we're supporting in the Christmas offering that is located in these cities. Real places. Entering into a house, he wanted no one to know, yet he could not escape notice. But hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit. I don't know what that is. Uh demon, some kind of, uh, something was controlling her. So bad that she immediately came and fell down before his feet. Okay. Typical healing situation. We've seen Jesus do this before, right? He could just kind of... But, oh, the woman was a Greek a Syrophoenician by birth. And she began to ask him to drive out the demon from her daughter. Mark is pointing out a problem to us. Uh, in our day, we might go, what's the big deal? But in this day, very big deal. Syrophoenician. This means that this woman was a descendant of the long-hated enemies of Israel. And according to the traditions of the elders, Jesus shouldn't touch her. He shouldn't even talk to her. He shouldn't even be, just her being near Jesus was offensive to them. In their culture, she was devalued. She was seen as less than a person. One of the things that you see when you study Jesus Christ is the more that you see him, the more you realize he continually elevates women above the rest of the way the culture does. He's always saying, no, no, this is the way. And that's what he does here. Now look, it's very interesting. It says, she began to ask him to drive out the demon. How do you think she asked him? Hey, Jesus, you know, it'd be really cool if... No, no, that's not the sense of this word. The sense of this phrase that we say began to ask him means to beg earnestly. She will not take no for an answer. I like what Tim Keller says. There are cowards, there are regular people, there are heroes, and then there are parents. Moms who won't take no for an answer, get stuff done. Right? That's what she's doing. He said to her, now this is interesting, let the children be satisfied first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She answered and says to him, yes, sir. Even the dogs under the table eat from the children's scraps. Hmm. This is always a puzzling exchange and a lot going on there. We actually unpacked this story uh, from a different gospel earlier this year, and kind of really focused on this. Let me kind of summarize what's happening here. In Jesus' day, Jewish people often called Gentiles like this woman, dogs. And they clearly were not the children of God. So what were they? Well, they're just these, these people, these dogs. They, they, they're impediments to us trying to follow God. Now, what Jesus actually is doing here is he's teaching her a little bit of theology, it's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but he is saying something that is true, that the Messiah, that Jesus, his intention was to first come and offer the bread of life to the Jewish people, the children of God. And then after that, it would be offered to other people. That was something that, that was, they were confused by at this time. Now, she doesn't get all this theology. I don't know what she understands here, but it seems clear that she does get her place in this thing. Hey, I understand Jesus, listen. I know I'm not from Israel. I don't worship the God that you worship. I know that means I don't have a place at the table. I get it, I accept that. But I'll still take those scraps for my daughter. Because there are cowards, there are regular people, there are heroes, and then there are parents. Jesus is evidently impressed with her answer with her boldness, with her momness. And he says to her, Because of this reply, go. The demon has left your daughter. That's power. <laughs> and going away to her home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone, period. This woman, this dog, to be avoided according to the traditions of the elders, receives grace from a Messiah who longs to get involved. And Jesus' mission may start with the children of God, but it's gonna end with every one of us dogs having a place at the table. And in this moment, what we're seeing, we're seeing a, a major pivot happen where the king of the Jews is becoming the savior of the world. Now, in this exchange, this example of Christ, his ethic of involvement, it poses a question for us to wrestle with. I am wrestling with this question as well. Do we practice an ethic of avoidance or an ethic of involvement we willing to get our hands dirty and messy and even if that's misunderstood because people's hearts and hope is worth it this is one of the things that I am most proud of of this church pulpit rock church we aren't afraid to get our hands dirty Take our Christmas offering, for example. I've never seen a church that says, we're going to give 20% of every dollar that comes in out the doors of this place, and we're going to try to figure out every year how to do more and more of that. And we're going to do it to things that might conflict sometimes with some of the traditions of the elders, like maybe partnering with public schools to prevent teen suicide, to rescue young girls by funding people who will go into brothels and rescue slaves, by building bunk beds for foster kids in our city, by funding martial arts academies and hair salon schools for Muslim refugees so they could get a job and they could hear the love of Christ. It would be easy to have an ethic of avoidance and go, you know, that's just messy and I don't even know why, I don't want to even hear about that. I don't even think that, I, I just want to pretend like, I just want to avoid all that messy. But that's not what you do. What I'm learning from you is that getting messy is worth it. That listening to people outside our traditions can help us. That, that we don't have to be afraid. Because when we get our hands dirty, those are the hands of Christ. He's getting them dirty with us. Six days ago, my wife and I made a drive we never thought we would make. To deal with a situation we never expected we would deal with. And for us, for where we are in life, this thing was about as messy as I can imagine. I thought about how easy it would be to to avoid or how easy it would be to try to keep it a secret, uh, to be embarrassed because I started feeling like the parent version of the unworthy dog. But then I remembered you all and how this is a place where love lives, where gentle words are spoken, where we embrace the messy, And encourage me. So today, I I don't have a big ask to get you to go do something or whatever. I just want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for being a place that cares more about the conditions of hearts than the cleanliness of hands. Thank you for being less concerned about protecting our witness than you are just being a witness. Thank you for being a place of people who gets their hands dirty so, hearts can get clean. I will say this all of us here know people who have messy in their lives. They're not holding on to things we think they ought to hold on to, they're not doing things we think they ought to do. And the easy thing to do with these people is to avoid them so we don't get that dirt on us. But Jesus' approach is to roll up the sleeves and get involved. Do you need to make a call to someone? Do you need to invite someone to dinner? Is there something that you have been thinking about and going, I just don't know if I want to take that step? And you're going, I, maybe we do need to get involved. What does it look like for you to get your hands dirty to help someone else's heart become clean? Because as we saw today, you can follow all the traditions of the elders you want, but that's not going to change this. The only thing that can change this is Jesus Christ. Let's go to him right now. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I confess to you today that only you can clean my heart. Only you can purify my motives. Only you can free me up to get involved and love people like you do, unafraid of dirty hands. Father, if there's anybody here today that's hearing my voice that realizes that they have been trying to follow all these traditions of the elders, to do all these things right so that they could be right with you, would they instead hear the words of Jesus? Would they open their hearts to you I am willing, Lord, make me clean.